Flying Bull Productions presents Laugh, Literature, and Film. Welcome to Laugh 150. I'm your host, Ryan Bull. Uh, not joining me across the table is Richard Lusk. Unfortunately, he's out recovering from his shoulder surgery. So instead, we've been able to uh, bring on the show super fan Tony Christ. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Ryan? We're Mr. Bull for your students. <laughs> Uh, I'm doing very well. Uh, this week we're talking about X-Men Apocalypse. I've been called many things over many lifetimes. Ra, Krishna, Yahweh. Ever since the world found out about mutants, there have been secret societies who see them as some kind of second coming or sign of God. They believe that tens of thousands of years ago, an ancient being was born the world's first mutant. You are all my children, and you're lost because you follow blind leaders. This is the end of the second trilogy that uh, started with uh, First Class, followed a couple years ago by Days of Future Past, and now Brian Singer brings us X-Men Apocalypse. This was hinted at in the teaser at the end of uh, Days of Future Past. Uh, Apocalypse is probably the most well-known X-Men villain. Uh, Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, Him and then... uh... I guess Mr. Sinister, to some extent, depending on what version you're looking at. Yeah, so this... Uh, And and, and obviously, besides Magneto, I mean, he's the big guy, too, but he he comes and goes throughout the whole series. He flips back and forth, good guy and bad guy, like the big show for for wrestling fans. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Magneto's been uh, featured in almost all of the X-Men films, so it was time for them to get a new villain. And here we have Apocalypse being played for us by Oscar Isaac, who's probably most famous for his role in uh, the last Star Wars film. He was also in last year's Et Machina. And here on the Left Podcast, we've talked a lot about Inside Lou and Davis, the Coen Brothers film. So it was good to see him. Also returning to the film series was James McAvoy playing uh, Professor Etz. We have Michael Fassbender playing Magneto. Jennifer Lawrence is apparently playing Mystique for one last time. And then a whole bunch of other people. This is probably the largest assembly of superheroes in any comic book film to date uh yeah um you know civil war probably got pretty close there um if you count like even the uh or uh, age of ultron at the very end when they introduced you know uh like falcon and stuff at the very end as the new avengers you get if you want to count those those are pretty big too yeah was there any particular superhero you were looking forward to seeing in this film um i kind of I was looking forward to see how they did uh cyclops uh because as a character he's he was like one of the more popular characters I read from the uh, arcade game. I remember him like first and then on the TV show in the nineties. Uh, but like, I never liked him as James uh, Marsden. I never liked him playing him because he was always like the kind of the whiny sidekick to, to Wolverine. So I was wondering how they're going to start it up with this. If he was going to be the whiny kid or if he was going to be like a, you know, a cool guy. Yeah, and then here they have Ty Sheridan playing him. Ty Sheridan was in Mud and Joe, two other movies we've talked a lot about here on the Left Podcast. And he's also going to be in the Steven Spielberg-directed Ready Player One that's supposedly coming out here in two years. So Yeah, I'm excited for that. I, I read that book a couple of years ago, and I really liked that. If they can get rights to everything. 
Yeah, it, it's a little weird what they're doing with ages in this movie because Cyclops and uh, Jean Grey are so young, as is Nightcrawler. And then, you know, you've got some of these older characters uh, later on in the comic books. Jean Grey is supposed to have a little something going on with Wolverine. And Hugh Jackman's starting to get up there in age, so I'm not real sure how they're going to make all of that work. Yeah, and it's supposed to be 17 years before uh, the original X-Men, right? With uh, um, That came out in 2000 or whatever. So that kind of started this whole thing with the comic book, you know, good comic book movies. Bad comic book movies have been around forever, but the good ones... Just started, I would say, with X-Men and probably with Spider-Man as well. Yeah, I mean, and I guess that, you know, could lead us into our reviews. The first X-Men film that you said came out in 2000 pretty much kicked off this um, generation of comic book films. It's pretty much the golden era right now that we're living in and that we've been living in for the last 16 years. So, eight X-Men films, uh, 11 or 12 uh, Marvel films. We've had a whole bunch of Batmans and everything since then. Are you tired of superhero films, Tony? Or, you know, does this film prove that there's still life in the genre? Uh, I'm getting, uh, uh, the one thing I'm tired of with movies is uh, origin stories as far as, especially with well-defined characters. You know, um, like, I don't need to see Batman's parents get killed again and him be all mopey and stuff. I don't need to see Superman. I don't need to see Spider-Man get bitten by a bug again. So hopefully, like with the next, uh, with the new Spider-Man movie, they'll start up where he's, you know, maybe like 20 or maybe he's still a teenager, but he's already got his powers for a little bit. Uh, but as far as the genre goes, I like the comic book movies. I'll, I'll, you know, they'll get my 10 or $15 every time, uh, they come out. You know, I'm the guy who like, I like the Fantastic Four movies. I didn't see the new one, but I like the Silver Surfer one. I like the Hulk movies. I, I like those. So, you know, cause they always do a different spin on them. Uh, oh, um, yeah. Um, I, I'm not so big on the Fantastic Four movies. The X-Men, for me, have always had a close place in my heart, probably because I grew up watching the cartoon that was on Fox. So, you know, between right. that and Batman, those were the superheroes that I grew up knowing. The Avengers stuff has been neat and cool for Marvel, but there were no real cartoons where it got inside my head and you know, it really made me uh, appreciate and love those characters and desire to see them on the big screen in live action. Yeah. Well, and then as a kid too, there was uh, one of like lower, lower budget cartoons. They had an Iron Man one and a Spider-Man one. So I've always liked Iron Man as a kid. And they even did a thing where they had uh, Hawkeye and they had Black Widow and stuff as characters and War Machine uh, in there. So that's kind of cool to see them on the big screen, uh, especially even as a kid's cartoon. They, they didn't never did it outright, but they always teased that Iron Man's, uh, alcoholism and stuff so it's interesting to see that in the, you know in the movies now and how it works out so like you know i've always had a tall spot for the iron man movies as well yeah yeah that's um, kind of interesting these x-men films are kind of they're not as goofy or not goofy but they're not as funny as the marvel films there wasn't a, a ton of laughs in this film and I, I did feel that some of the jokes fell a little flat in x-men apocalypse but it didn't have that super serious note of Batman versus Superman. Somehow it was bridging the gap be between those. Like, we cared about the characters. We cared about what they were doing. The the world was at stake here. But, I, I don't know, it didn't feel as dreary as Batman versus Superman. That might have also had to do with the fact that the whole thing didn't play take place at night. Right, you're taking place the majority of it in Egypt, and so it's always it's sandy, it's bright, it's sunny, there's not a lot of clouds in the sky. 
you know, and then you go up to like upstate New York, which is very green, very beautiful looking and stuff. So you see like a lot of, uh, you know, just colors as backgrounds. You know, it's not, it's not in the rain. It's not doomsday. It's nothing, you know. So you were pretty big on this film. Um, I think I was, by the end, I was on board with this film. The middle part of this film I felt dragged on. I liked seeing the stuff, the early days of Apocalypse. I liked seeing Nightcrawler at the beginning of the film and Angel. But then it seemed like forever, for it, it or it took Apollo, Apocalypse forever to put together his team. And then his destructive plans, I don't know, fell a little flat. I liked the final battle sequence, and we'll go into more depth with that when we get to spoilers. But I, I don't know. I, I felt like... Brian Singer and uh, Simon Kinberg were purposely padding out this film so it'd be two and a half hours long. I didn't feel yeah, like we needed that long of an X-Men film. This could have been done in 100 minutes. It could have been definitely at least yeah the hour and a half you know, for the credits and all that stuff. Um, looking at uh, my list here, because uh, as we were doing some pre-show stuff, I was making a list of where this stood in my X-Men movies. And uh, I'm counting, you know, the Wolverine movies and Deadpool. I've got this number four, uh, but I don't. I also have it counting uh, the the two TV shows they did, the X Men, the cartoon from the '90s, and uh, X Men Evolution, which was in the 2000s. Uh, so I've got this right under, as far as movies go, right underneath X2, I think. And I, I might flip that with X Men just because, you know, and they actually made the stroke in the movie too, like. If you, you couldn't do the movies without the first one, you know, mm-hmm. if you could start movie series with the sequel, you know, a lot of times the sequel tends to be stronger in these Marvel movies and then they uh, drop off again. Yeah. And it's funny. They even make a joke about the third movie in a trilogy sucking. And I'm pretty sure because I can't see your list, but you have X-Men Last Stand as the worst film on there, right? Yes. That's the last. And then, uh, uh, ironically enough, in the first class, I've only seen it the one time, and I, I wasn't a big fan of that as much as I probably as much as I wanted to. Uh, but I like Days of Future Past, and I liked uh, this one a little bit better than that. But yeah, Last Last Stand is the worst, uh, and it, it was a series of that uh, Spider-Man Three being the worst. It's all the, the, the third of the of the comic book movies have been the worst. And then the funny thing with this was that this was. You know the second, third, and the and the you know as you would say the trilogy of the six movies. Well, it definitely seems like they're planning these out as trilogies, and uh, a lot of the actors may not come back for another set of films, so they may be recasting some of the roles. The big one is Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman has said he's only doing one more film after this, a standalone Wolverine film that's set to begin filming soon. There is some talk that he may have a cameo in Deadpool. But for the most part, Hugh Jackman's about done. And, I mean, he's getting up there in age. He does have a brief cameo in this film. That's not a spoiler since it's given away in the trailers. And, I mean, he still looks good as Wolverine. But, like I said, he's getting up there. So now these movies are faced with that decision of who do you recast in these parts. And that can be awfully hard. We've seen DC have trouble with that with Superman and Batman. um, You know, those iconic characters that people have come to love. So it'll be right. interesting to see what they and, do. Uh, yeah, and for some reason, it doesn't work as well for the comic book movies or just has for, uh, like, James Bond. The James Bond movies, I'm sure right away they had the thing, and maybe it worked out to Sean Connery when he left. He had John J. Lazenby, who did, you know, a one-off, and it was an okay movie, but not great, and then they just move on to another guy right away. But with James Bond, then, like, you know, the joke is that you can recast him every couple of years, 
for comic book movies, I guess people, you know, they see the way the characters draw and they just accept them like that. They don't accept them. You know, how many people, when they've been Affleck has been out, they go, well, he can't be Batman. Like, he doesn't look like Batman at all. Because you get an idea of what Christian Bale is, you know. And then when Christian Bale, it's like, well, he can't be it because of, you know, Michael uh, Keaton or something. You know, people, so I don't know if it's a, uh, comic book fans are different, you know, they're they're more hardcore about stuff than like, uh, than like a James Bond fan would be. Oh, definitely. And I mean, this film early on had some bad buzz about it because a press photo leaked of Oscar Isaac dressed up as Apocalypse and Apocalypse was purplish, almost pink tinged in there where the character's supposed to be blue. And then a lot of people were also upset that Oscar Isaac was so short. I think the man's only 5'8 right. like or 5'9 and Apocalypse is supposed to be this imposing figure. In fact, they had thought about casting either Tom Hardy Tom Hardy, who had played Bane, or uh, Idris Elba, who's um, got a fairly large stature to him as well. Did you think Oscar Isaac did a good job as Apocalypse? Yeah, I think I think so. I, I think you needed a guy. Uh, you know, it's funny because it, it would almost be like you really didn't need anybody to me because I think you know they distort his voice enough, and he's been covered in makeup. Only from the first scene when the they show him uh, being transferred, you see, oh, that's that's who that is. That's the guy from. Uh, uh, from Ex Machina or whatever. After that, like you know, he could be anybody under that mask, under the makeup and all that. So you, you know, it could have been something where you, you really could have used anybody. I think I don't think Isaac was good or bad. I don't think it is Elba. You know, you want somebody with like a distinctive voice, but they manipulated his voice so much that you wouldn't have been able to tell. Yeah, apparently they used three different microphones uh, that were recording, you know, just a little bit of bass, a moderate amount of bass, and then a ton, and they played around with some distortion to give him this otherworldly voice, and it was supposed to also, and I had to read this, uh, it was supposed to let you know that he had still the souls of all the people he had body swapped with. Apparently that's this character's one weakness. He is so powerful that he burns out his mortal form and he has to transfer his consciousness to someone else. And that's also why he's so powerful because he keeps transferring to a new mutant every time and he gains that mutant's abilities as well. Yeah. Well, I, I like that part too where they, they do say, you know, when uh, Mortar is talking about that he absorbs the uh, mutations from the people uh and that could happen because otherwise like he's the first mutant it's like well what does what does the first mutant have as a power there's nothing to do you know and then it explains why you need so many mutants with so many different powers you know you need the invisible one the teleport one the fast running guy the storm person you need all those mutant powers so that you know apocalypse has a reason to go after various mutants yeah, I mean, to me, it's almost a problem, though. Apocalypse is too powerful. And when I was watching this film and how easily he was able to dispatch people, I thought there's no real good way for the X-Men to defeat him unless it's some sort of deus ex machina ending, you know, where they suddenly they have some super weapon. And that, to me, is problematic. You You want a villain who causes you to really doubt that the superheroes can win, but if you go too far down that road, then it doesn't seem plausible when they do win. Uh, right. And then the idea, of, you know, it's one of, well, it's, uh, I don't know if you want to spoil like Civil War, but there's that line too where uh, Iron Man says, if anybody on our team's got any superpowers they want to let us know about, like, it's one of those things like, hey, who has all the powers here? Let's get them flushed out before we go fight the bad guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and I guess we are spoiling Civil War a little bit, but people have had a month to go see it. It's made over a billion dollars. 
Yeah, people, people, if you haven't seen it by now, you're not worried about spoilers. Hopefully not. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Does this film make you excited to see future X-Men films, or do you feel like uh, this is about played out? You know, we have eight films, if we include the Wolverine stuff. Have we seen enough of the X-Men? You can do more, and that's the thing that we talk about with recast, and I think they can do more X-Men movies. Uh, But what they'll have to do is, you know, they'll keep guys like Beast around to teach the new kids. Like, you know, they had a little bit of like a Jubilee, a little bit with like uh, Shadow Cat later on. She's in some of the movies like with cameos. So you can always have these new movies where you have the older actors as they are getting up, you know, old age and stuff like a Wolverine, have them teaching the new class and they can just continue on with the series that way if they really wanted to. And you can always find out, oh, this is our long-lost cousin who's got the power, and he's got this and that. But, I mean, are there storylines that you want to see, I guess is my point. I'm kind of interested in seeing, like, a, a Phoenix saga. That's where one of Jean Grey's special powers, is, and this is in the TV show, where she has this dark something inside of her that, you know, causes, you know, unsolved rage. I guess it was, it was hinted at in X-Men 3 in The Last Stand. So, you know, it would be interesting to do a series like that, I think. Um but uh, I don't know. You'd have to find different ones, and they did the Asian Future Past. I think there's talks about Cable being back, and he, you know he's a kind of a time traveler guy, and you know he's done some stuff with Bishop and stuff as characters. So those would be interesting ones as well. Okay, I, I mean that's fair. I, I think they're trying to use Cable in the next uh, Deadpool film. Maybe there's some room for some crossover. Personally, I'm starting to think that these X Men films are about done. I like Brian Singer as a director, but. I like him less and less with each subsequent film that I see him direct. You know, I really liked Apt Pupil and the Usual Suspects films he did at the beginning of his career. But this felt tired. This felt cliched at times, Uh, especially the character of Beast, who I thought you could really let just run wild. He's really powerful. In a lot of ways, he's similar to Wolverine, but... His action sequences are pretty boring, and they're filmed like a 90s action movie with lots of cuts so that you really can't see Beast moving around the space. You see him jump, uh, there's a quick shot of him in the air, and then you cut to another shot of him you know, crashing into his target. And to me, that felt very 90s action movie, not let's unleash the full power of CGI to let these characters you know, fight in a spectacular comic book fashion, much like they could in uh, Captain America Civil War. I thought the fight choreography in that was so much better than in this film when it just seemed like, okay, we've got one effect. Cyclops has his vision, you know, take off the glasses, shoot the beam out. All right, we'll pay, you know, for that special effect and we'll use that time after time and we won't add any new wrinkles to it. Uh, Wolverine, the same thing with the claw gag of, you know, his claws disappearing in someone's chest as he stabs him. There were probably five shots of that, you know, for various villains that he was taking out. Uh, Nightcrawler with his ability to teleport. That to me seemed like a really simple special effect. You film them there, lock off the camera, have them walk off the set, film a backplate, you know, of an empty set, and then just add in a little CGI cloud and a sound, a cool sound effect. And you've got that. I didn't feel like Nightcrawler's fighting style was that um, aggressive, that uh, kinetic. It was nothing like his beginning fight scene in X-Men 2 when he's going through the White House just tearing apart all the Secret Service agents. So I was I was disappointed with the action 
And I thought a lot of that came from Brian Singer's vision. While the sets could be beautiful, and they were, the action kind of let me down until the very end of this film. Uh, what were your thoughts? Uh, well, uh, yeah, the action wasn't you know great. Like they they do cut a lot of stuff. Uh, I'm wondering if they do that as a thought. You know, Brian Singer does that because you know they mentioned. I think even Cyclops mentions at one point that they're just learning their powers now, or they're having they don't have control over their powers like Magneto, like uh, Charles do. So, you know, their fight isn't quite there yet. You know, their fight powers isn't quite there yet. So do you show them they, they know all their powers right away? Or do you have them study it a little bit and practice it? Because, again, you know, Cyclops, you know, has his glasses, but he has to pull them off to use them. He doesn't have, you know, the Ray-Bans that he has. He doesn't have the, you know, the, the visor that he can just control when he needs to where you can even control the power and the pressure and stuff like that. Is it a single stream? Is it a big stream? You know, he just takes his glasses off and it's shooting or it's not shooting. So I wonder if there's part of that, like, this is the first time they're going out to fight, to fight in the biggest mutant in the whole world, the first mutant, most powerful mutant who's got all these other powers, but they don't know what they're doing yet. Go back with Beast. you got to remember, too, with Beast, you know, he was already on a mission before, and where all his friends got killed in the uh, first class. So, like, now does he want to go into that again? And then he's also walking that line that he's a doctor or, or he'll become a doctor who uses his mind. And now he's also got this power of beast inside of him. So he might be conflicted. Is he the beast or is he a doctor? You know, he doesn't know. He can, you know, he's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. He doesn't know that he can, he can't balance him just yet. Uh, okay, fair enough. I think the character we should discuss is Quicksilver, but I don't want to spoil that scene for people who haven't seen the movie yet. So are you ready to get into spoilers then? Yes, for sure. All right, spoiler time. The man that hath no music in himself, nor is not moved with concord of sweet sounds, is fit for treasons, stratagems, and spoils. Okay, here's my problem. Quicksilver probably saved Days of Future Past. His one scene in that kitchen where he's flying around the room, pushing bullets out of the way, beating up all the guards, was amazing. Right. In this movie, he has two real scenes where you see him using his superpowers. Uh, one when the house blows up, and later on he fights Apocalypse, which is kind of cool, and we can get to that in a second. But the scene with the whole mansion blowing apart, and he's running around pulling people out just in time, while I could definitely tell the effects were bigger, and they gave more money to that scene, and they definitely spent a lot more time. Supposedly they spent a month and a half filming that with Evan Peters, the actor playing that role. I didn't like it as much as I liked the kitchen fight scene in Days of Future Past. What are your thoughts on that? I, I did enjoy it. I liked the, the two times it came out. It was out of nowhere. Like, it was just like, all of a sudden everything slows down. And it takes you a second, oh, there he is. Like, you see his feet or you see his face in the, in the background. So I like that kind of the surprise element of it. I don't know, I think, yeah, first, the Days of Future Past was, was better because it was the first time you've ever seen that sort of technology. You know, they used it in Inception, too, with the slowdown camera, where one guy moves and everybody else is frozen around him. So it, it was interesting. But, uh, I don't know, I thought it, 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 became, it helped this movie out a lot. So I think it was a cool scene in this movie. And it was a cool scene. Because if you think how different uh, this movie would have been if Quicksilver didn't go to the house at all. Like, he would have, it would, everybody would have just blown up and that would have been it. Yeah, I mean, I thought that whole thing <laughs> here, you're, you're shooting the blast at people who've already left. I, I, I thought... That felt a little forced, like, here, how can we have uh, Quicksilver come and save the day? Oh, we need some explosion. You know, it can't be bullets once again. But 
I, I don't know. It, it felt tired. Plus, if you're if you have the Quicksilver character, why don't you rely on that guy all the time? If he is so fast that other people can't react uh, when you know they needed to find out where Apocalypse was in the giant temple, why didn't they send Quicksilver? It would have taken him half a second to find Apocalypse. Instead, they send in Nightcrawler. I mean, honestly, you would always use Quicksilver to do everything. Why aren't you giving him a knife where he could have stabbed Apocalypse? I mean, it was cool seeing him, you know, fight and speed around and punch him and send Apocalypse flying. But why isn't he delivering uh, the coup de grace, the the killing blow ever? That, to me, is troublesome. Yeah. Well, they did try to explain it because they had him take uh, Mystique up to talk to Magneto. And I mean, you know, it's his father, and, it's, and I don't know what age Quicksilver's supposed to be. Again, he can take orders, but he can do whatever he wants. Yeah, but you've got Nightcrawler. You could just grab Mystique and Nightcrawler teleport over to where Magneto is. Why do you have to have the guy who can, you know, run across flying metal objects? <laughs> and I, I would just think if you'd rather be teleported than being run around at twice the speed of sound... I would just think the whiplash would be horrible, and they even joked about that in Days of Future Past. And, you know, uh, Evan Peters is putting his hand behind Magneto's head so he doesn't get whiplash. In this movie, he's kicking people and throwing them, dragging them around like a rag doll as he runs all around. Everyone has to have a broken neck. Well, even like if you, even when he punches people, when they're frozen, it's like, you know, if you're just standing off and your head flies back from a punch, um, how much damage would that do? Oh, yeah, he's throwing people through windows to save them from the explosion. And he's throwing them fast enough that their body is traveling faster than this split-second explosion. Yeah. He had a blanket there to catch him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Of course, a sheet is going to stop something that's traveling that fast. But I, I guess that's always been my problem. A lot of these superheroes are either super overpowered in the X-Men universe, or they're super underpowered. Like, Mystique is the leader. All she is is a shapeshifter. Right, and with hand-to-hand combat, but, you know, she can't she can't stop a bullet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've got other guys who are shooting friggin' laser beams out of their eyes. <laughs> or, you know, running super fast, being able to fly. I mean, like, uh, uh, Angel? Uh, yeah, sure, eventually he can throw metal feathers. but Right, but all he can do is fly. Uh, yeah, he didn't seem like he was that great, and you just lock him in a cage, and he's out for the rest of the film. I, I, I don't know. I, I didn't care for it. I wanted a whole bunch of Psylocke. We haven't even talked about her, played by Olivia Munn, where she's got those cool like energy sword and whip weapons. Yeah, it, just, it can be whatever she needs it to be, it looks like. Yeah, and you're thinking, oh, well, this can cut through anything. She wraps it around Beast's throat and does nothing with it. He's able <laughs> yeah. to get right away. I'm thinking, well, that's not nearly as cool. Yeah. Why'd you stab him then? <laughs> I mean, she sliced through a car. But after Psylocke, I started getting into the film. And by the end, yeah, I want to see the X-Men, I think, come back and fight the Sentinels. But I don't know. It's problematic. And I think a lot of it goes back to the director, Brian Singer. And it breaks my heart to say that because I really like that guy. And I like a lot of the films he's done. I just don't think he can keep up with uh, the direction that action movies are going now. He can't create that kinetic uh, force. Like, um, oh, I'm trying to think of the brothers who did the Civil War movie. They also did Winter Soldier. 
The Russo brothers. Yeah, the Russo brothers. I mean, clearly those guys are a whole lot better at action than Singer. I mean, Singer was great 15 years ago when in a comic book movie you only had a couple of scenes you could do of superheroes being super just because of the limits of what you know CGI was capable of. You had to have more character-driven pieces and you had to use smart cuts and edits to make the audience think you were seeing superpowers. You know, when reality was practical effects or whatnot. I don't know. I think they need a new director for this series if we get any more films. Uh, right now, nothing is set in stone for this series. I think a lot will have to do with how it does this weekend at the box office. You said your theater was packed, right? Yeah. Uh, like I said, I got there uh, a little about it was a 10 o'clock showing, first showing of the day. I got there about 9.30, and uh, I went to the ticket kiosk thing, and I like this one for X-Men and the guy showed to the screen because uh, my theater had the where you can pick your seat, uh, you know, where you read the recliner seats and all that. And everything was X'd out. And, you know, I did the thing where it's like, oh, those are free ones? He goes, no, those are ones that are taken already. So I was like up in the front, you know, the third row off into the corner. And uh, it wasn't bad. I mean, because, you know, screens are big enough now and they're, you know, reclined, the seats reclined so you can look up and it's not be like bad. But yeah, it was almost sold out. Bunch of kids, bunch of families. And, uh, yeah, Memorial Day weekend, three day weekend, whatever. You know, a lot of single guys too. So <laughs> a lot of you know, uh, you know, there's a lot of different people there for a ten o'clock showing. I mean, that's a good sign. I saw it yesterday at about four o'clock, and the number of people in my theater was probably twenty. Granted, you know, I live in Gloucester, and apparently no one else does. It seems like at times. Uh, so I right. wasn't very impressed with the turnout. So I was worried, and I've got this as part of. My uh, bots office challenge, my uh, seven movies that are going up against lusts. This was fairly bloodless. There was a little bit of blood when Wolverine shows up, but even then they toned it down a lot. Yeah. It, it seems like now if you're making a superhero film, parents don't even worry about the rating. They just let their kids go. Right. And then there is a couple like there's uh, the one there's an F-bomb and there's a couple other bad words and stuff like that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's kind of like you know, part for the course with, you know, PG-13 moving, I think, you know, Deadpool went over the limit. I think they're, they're probably testing the waters a little bit with what can, you know, be do it and all that. You know, how far, how far they can go. And like, even, you know, Deadpool does it where he turns the camera away before he does something really bad to somebody. This one does it too, where, you know, Wolverine turns, you know, the camera pulls away and you see the blood hit the wall, you know? And then there's all those dead bodies. Yeah, but largely there's not a whole um, lot of blood. I mean, clearly that's done to preserve yeah, the yeah, film from gaining yeah. R rating. Yeah. And you made, I had forgotten until you brought it up. You're allowed a single F bomb in a PG 13 movie as long as it's not in a sexual use fashion. I have to say, the F bomb in this film is one of the best timed uses in a PG 13 movie that I can think of in a long time. Yeah, because this horrible thing just happens to Magneto, and so you know he's already doing bad things. And just all, you know, just oh yeah, out. you just see Fazbender having the worst day of his life, and the yeah, this teleport shows up, and he's like, "Oh, what now?" You know, who the f are you? Yeah, well, because to anybody else, like if this is you know if you're just a normal human, this is the weirdest thing you've ever seen. But to Magneto, it's like, what again? Like we have to do this again? There's another something coming yeah. up. You know, there's. This, Another day in the life of the X-Men. Like, more crazy bad guys are coming up. That on. line probably got the most laughs in the theater I was at. It was either that or when Nightcrawler uh, wakes up at the very end of the film and asks what well, he yeah, missed. Yeah, well, 
when he missed, it was the whole fight scene. Um, well, there you go. That's why he couldn't do the fight scene at the end, because he was marked out. Oh, no, he had already teleported them out of the plane, you know, to keep the plane oh, from already, crashing. Okay, okay, that's right. Uh, and then he, he, knocked, he, he was knocked out over exhaustion. Yeah, okay. I, I, I don't know. But yeah, that. And that's, that, that's funny. I, I couldn't remember the order. Um, well, and then, yeah, the other thing with, uh, with Magneto with the, with the particular word, it was kind of a callback to uh, First Class, too, when they, come up to, when they walk up to Wolverine like that in the bar, and he says the same thing to yeah. him. Uh, <laughs> and they just turn around. They don't even talk to him. Yeah, um, I thought Fassbender was great. I wish he had more screen time. I thought Jennifer Lawrence was strong when she was on the screen, but they didn't give her much to do. Uh, the person I was looking forward to seeing in this film, and I thought she didn't do a good job, and it's probably why I'm not looking forward to uh, the Phoenix saga, is uh, Sophie Turner playing Jean Grey. She was nothing. No, she didn't bring a lot to it. And I would, it's not even like... Uh... Sam T. Danson brought like a lot to it as Gene either, so it's not like you know, she's not like identified like a like a Batman is with Adam West or something like that. This is like, oh, she's just you know a girl and she's got you know emotional problems. Yeah, but there's just something like the way she holds her face and just it's kind of scrunched up, and there was nothing to her performance. Like there was no scene where she really just captured my interest. Uh, Granted, they didn't give her much time to develop a love relationship with Cyclops, and pretty much whenever she's using her power, she's just holding her hand up to her forehead. Yeah, so there's not a lot of like fight scenes that she can do other than her head. She can't do the hand-to-hand combat just yet, so that does happen. So her, all of her powers on screen, anyway, are facial powers. As a, you know, and then they can add in the you know the lifting and the telekinesis and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I like the actress on Game of Thrones. I'm interested to see how she does in Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, where she's going to be playing Mary Shelley. But apparently, Mary Shelley also comes across the monster of Frank, or comes across Frankenstein's monster somehow. I don't know how all that's going to work. Uh, I know the Julia Roberts film of a very similar name was pretty bad. It kind of ruined that actress's career. So. I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to get excited if we get more Sophie Turner playing Jean Grey. I honestly would not be surprised if they recast the part in future films. Uh, yeah, no, I wouldn't be surprised either. Um, I do have a question, though. Do you think this movie, is this, uh, the, this trilogy, as uh, a retcon, the original trilogy? Because, you know, they've changed so much. And, like, because in the new one, in the original ones, they don't mention Apocalypse at all, which you think would be a big deal. Mutants are still kind of secretive. And then, like, you know, the beginning of X-Men 3, they show Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen getting Jean from her house, and obviously it's not them in this one who get her. So, you know, the Days of Future Past, you know, changed everything that took, takes place in the original trilogy. Uh, apparently, or according to uh, the s- screenplay writer Simon Kinberg, they feel like uh, the Days of Future Past, uh, when Wolverine travels into the past trying to change the outcome, so that they all don't get killed by what the Sentinels in the future. That has caused some changes in these characters, and that's why we're seeing different versions of them. And I guess that works. I wish they had found some way to explain that. I mean, it's kind of like when uh, Patrick Stewart is playing Professor X in Days of Future Past in the future, and you're like, wait, he was killed in X-Men Last Stand. You know, what happened? That was never really explained, apparently, unless you watched a DVD commentary track. 
Yeah, so he puts his he puts he puts his mind into another kind of like a like apocalypse. He puts his mind into another person's body or something weird. Yeah, like he that. has a twin brother it, who's comatose. Yeah, which again talk about like the flying eagle in uh, Lord of the Rings. It just comes out of nowhere. If someone is listening to all this, spoilers and all, they've been listening to the other shows. They haven't seen any superhero uh, film so far this year. None of these team movies. So Batman v Superman, Captain America. Uh, Civil War and X Men Apocalypse, and they can only go see one of these films. Which are you recommending that they see? Uh, I think they should see Civil War. Uh, I think uh, Apocalypse. You really need uh, Days of Future Past and First Class to get this. I think so. If you go, if you walk in cold without any of it, I think this one's going to be very confusing to you. But if you, uh, but Civil War, I don't think. I think the characters you you kind of get them right away if they okay. come in. They do enough back. They do enough background in Civil War to show you, you know, why Iron Man would be, you know, upset about stuff and why Captain America would be upset about his time. Fair and enough. And I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say the next team movie you'd want to see. You don't get to see any trailers. You don't get any news. Uh, you know about casting. You have no idea what the plot is. But you would go with another uh, Avengers film over another X Men film or Justice League. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think that, yeah, the next Avengers uh, one would be good with those characters because I think they're unique enough. And uh, the Avengers guys, they have, you know, I'm not going to say 100%, but their powers are rooted in reality enough that, you know, they're not necessarily mutant powers to some extent. So they they all have to do hand-to-hand combat. Other than Scarlet Witch, who makes things fly around like Green Jean Grey. She's my least favorite character of that. Yeah, she's my least favorite character of her, that envision because again the two powerful characters you know the, the t-t-o-o powerful uh you know thing i like the guys you know even iron man you know gets his arm broken and stuff like that and you know gets beat up quite a bit even in this suit yeah fair enough and even even ant man shrinks down but he still punches and kicks um anything else uh you know sometimes in the past mystique has been nightcrawler's mother you know they have that connection with the blue mm-hmm. skin so, you know, I, I have the feeling this doesn't do anything about that. Um, watching the credits, I was thinking it's easier in the old days to sit through credits when they didn't have to credit anybody. <laughs> you know, you watch like an, you watch an Orson Welles movie and it's all Orson Welles does everything. Um, I think Scott was trying to look like Tom Cruise from, you know, just those, you know, uh, all the right moves and, um, you know, risky business and mm-hmm. stuff. And then Kurt was just like Michael Jackson, which is kind of cool. <laughs> so... Uh, just that stuff. Now, one, I do have the, well, one more thing. The um, I like, you know, the, one of your critiques and, and lust critiques of superhero movies is always about the end of the world, saving the world. And at least this time, the character's name is Apocalypse, <laughs> so it is about the end of the world. So it does help with that extent that they are trying to save the end of the world because that's the guy's name. And then, um, what do you think of the post-credits? You know, is that season the new Wolverine movie? Oh. Or are they going to send that off to something... Yeah, I had to go and look up an explanation for the post credits. Uh, apparently, that guy that we see with the briefcase and he's getting something, some of uh, Wolverine's blood or maybe a drug that they used. That guy is uh, Mister Sinister. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he, I, I don't know. I, the X Men teasers or stingers at the end of these films kind of leave me wanting a little more. They're always short, and there's nothing yeah. super cool about them. I think Marvel probably does the best stingers. Well, yeah, and uh, do you know if like who who is in charge of those uh, 
of the post credits? Like, is there anybody or like does for Brian Singer direct that or is that a studio uh, I bet, directive? I like bet that that's coming from the on. studio. Um, Singer may have filmed it, but I, I, I don't know. That, that's the other weird thing. We hear about these overarching plans for Marvel or DC, you know, and how they plan multiple films with X-Men. It's kind of one at a time. Let's see how the next one does before, you know, we, we plan any f- more future films. Uh, like the next X-Men, or the next Wolverine movie, supposedly it's going to be R. We've heard some talk about that, but nothing's fully been confirmed. Uh, we don't really know what the next Deadpool movie's supposed to be like, and you would like to see some synergy, you know, combining these films so that there is some crossover, so that you do have some world building, but it's not there. Well, yeah, and it builds, like he said, you know, that was the thing is when the first Iron Man came out, that was a test balloon to see if this could work. And they said, now that that worked, we'll, we'll throw the other ones out there and then we'll get them all together. But, you know, I already heard that after like, after the second or third, uh, movie, you know, the single Marvel movie came out that they had this big thing for like 20 years of Marvel movies planned out. It's like, you're not getting that with the X-Men. It's like, oh, there's a new X-Men movie coming out. Yeah. It seems like every two or three years we get something else from that world, but, um, I I think this is just Fox's problem. For every good superhero movie they make, there's another Fantastic Four Daredevil that they do that derails any plans. They they can never get enough momentum of doing two or three movies in a row that really captures the zeitgeist of the public interest. Marvel so far has been the only company that can do that. So summer is here. Happy Memorial Day. (laughs) I don't know what we're doing for a review for next week. A lot of that's going be up to lusk um we might be getting you on the show again i think possibly we're looking at getting you on in late july again on the show maybe to talk about star trek or jason Bourne, if either of those interest you uh both of those yeah would be good uh you know the, uh, you know matt damon the star trek both good movies you know series and stuff so you know, either one of those would work for me all right tony well uh thank you again for joining me Thank you very much. This was great. Thanks for having me on. And to our listeners, all I have to say is there be dragons. All right. Thanks, everybody. Are you going to the movies this weekend? Let Laugh know what you saw. Send in your review by emailing the show at thelaughpodcast at gmail.com, tweeting at the Laugh Podcast, or messaging us on facebook.com backslash thelaughpodcast. The best comments will get read on a future show.